Hello and welcome back to JHE Ministries Bible Study. I'm Jeffrey, minister and chaplain with JHE Ministries, and I'm glad to have you listening today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, and you will receive notifications every time there's a new podcast. We are studying in the book of Luke. So far, we have learned of the birth of John the Baptist and of Jesus. We learned about the circumcision and the dedication of our Lord and Savior. Now we're going to finish Luke's narrative of Jesus' dedication, and we're going to get into a very small glimpse of Jesus as a boy. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 2, and let's begin with verse 33. Let's get started. Now last time we read about Simon, a prophet who was a devout man of God. He was promised he wouldn't see death until his eyes looked upon the baby Jesus, the Messiah. And last time we finished with Simon's blessing, and Simon, in his blessing, basically reiterated what I just told you. He finally got to see the baby Jesus, and now he can depart in peace. This was the Lord's promise to him. So picking up with verse 33, we're going to get into Joseph and Mary's reaction. Verse 33, And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity, And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all these things, according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city, Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. When they had finished the days as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it, but supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey and sought among their relatives and their acquaintances. Now I want to stop there for now. And I want to head back up to verses 33. And I want to take a look at verses 33 and 35 together. Now in 33, in spite of what they already know, Joseph and Mary are amazed at Simon's song. And Luke carefully guards the doctrine of the virgin birth with his precisely worded Joseph and his mother. Because we know that Joseph was not his biological father, but he was the son of God. Now, after his initial outburst of praise to God for the Messiah, Simon blessed the parents, then spoke prophetically to Mary. Now, this prophecy consisted of four parts. The first one is this child was destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Simon adds a solemn note by predicting that because of the child, 
many in Israel, would be brought to moral decision, some to a point of collapse, and others to what can well be called resurrection. Those who were arrogant, unrepentant, those that were unbelieving, would fall and they would be punished. Those who humbled themselves, those who repented of their sins, and those that received the Lord Jesus, they would rise and be blessed. Now the second part, but there will be a cost to Jesus. The child was destined for a sign which will be spoken against. There has a special significance connected with the person of Christ. His very presence on earth proved a tremendous rebuke to sin and to unholiness, and thus brought out the bitter animosity of the human heart. He will be vulnerable to the hostility of unbelievers who reject not only him, but the whole of God's revelation. The third part is this clash will inevitably wound Jesus' mother. Yes, a sword will pierce through her own soul also. Now Simon was here predicting the grief which would flood Mary's heart when she would witness the crucifixion of her own son. And fourth, that the thoughts of many hearts may be received. The way in which a person reacts to the Savior is a test of his inward motives and his affections. Thus, Simon's song includes the ideas of touchstone, stumbling stone, and stepping stone, and of course, sword. Now, getting us into verses 36 through 38 that I'm going to look at together, we have the prophetess Anna, who bears witness to the Redeemer. Prophetesses function both in the Old Testament and also in New Testament times. Anna the prophetess was, like Simon, a member of the faithful remnant of Israel who was waiting for the advent of the Messiah. Anna was a familiar figure at the temple, and she may have possibly lived as a widow in one of the rooms that surrounded the temple precinct. Now, apparently, Anna could trace her genealogy, and Luke considered it important to show her true Jewishness. Anna was of the tribe of Asher. The name Asher means happy or blessed. And that was one of the ten tribes carried into captivity by the Assyrians in 721 BC. Anna must have been probably over 100 years old, having been married for seven years and then widowed for 84 years. And as a prophetess, she undoubtedly received divine revelations, and she served as a mouthpiece, if you will, for God. She was faithful in her attendance at public services at the temple, with worshiping, with fastings and supplications, both night and day. And her great age did not deter her from her serving the Lord. And just as Jesus was being presented to the Lord, and as Simon was speaking to Mary, Anna came up to this little cluster of people. She gave thanks to the Lord for the promised Redeemer, 
And then she spoke about Jesus to the faithful ones in Jerusalem who were expecting redemption. And once more, Luke points out the provisional, uh, the providential timing that Anna, like Simon, had been expecting the messianic kingdom. And like the shepherds, she spread the news about Jesus as well. Now leading us into verses 39 through 40. After Joseph and Mary had performed the rites of purification and dedication, they returned to Galilee, to their, to their hometown, Nazareth. But Luke, <coughs> excuse me, Luke omits the events recorded in the book of Matthew, the visiting magi or the wise men, the flight to Egypt, the killing of the infants in Bethlehem, and also the return from Egypt. But what is significant is that Jesus' parents were faithful to the Jewish law and that the child grew normally, the object of God's grace. Now, I want to take a quick side note here because the Bible says little about Jesus' childhood. We have that first just a few months as a baby in Bethlehem, then a year or two in Egypt, and then we have to Nazareth. Now, the only event that is mentioned from the entire period, from the return to Nazareth and the beginning of his public ministry, almost 30 years later, is the incident in the temple when Jesus was 12, which indicates that he was a remarkably precious boy. And what else we know, we find out elsewhere in the gospel. We know that Jesus was the eldest of a family of seven children. They lived on a carpenter's income, which met the needs of their family, and was probably considered an average family income back then. It is likely that Jesus, along with the other children in his family, they learned responsibility early. I always think how we wish we could have a glimpse of Jesus' home life, how the Son of God as a growing boy handled himself under the daily irritations in the day-to-day -day life that occurred. But the very simplicity and the sparseness of the Gospels when talking about Jesus' childhood, it lends credibility to the rest of what is recorded in the Gospels. It also indicates that there was little in Jesus' childhood that hinted at his future as the Savior of the world. See, the people in Nazareth rejected Jesus because they saw him as a boy who had grown up among them and had grown up with them. So ending the side note, I want to get back to verse 40. The normal growth of the child Jesus is set forth as physically. He grew and became strong in spirit. He passed through the usual stages of physical development. He learned to walk. He learned to talk, play, and work, probably working in his dad's carpentry shop, which was always the custom of the children to do what their father did. But because of this, he can sympathize with us in every stage of our own growth. Now, mentally, Jesus was filled with wisdom. He learned his ABCs, or the equivalent of the language of the time in that area, and it is always believed that he spoke Aramaic. Now, his, he learned his numbers, he learned math, and all the common knowledge of that day, but he grew up in wisdom that is in the practical application of this knowledge 
to the problems of life. Now, spiritually, the favor of God was upon Jesus. He walked in fellowship with God and in dependence on the Holy Spirit. He studied the Bible or the Torah, which would have been in the Jewish culture at that time for study. He spent time in prayer and delighted to do his Father's will. Now, in verses 41 to 44, here we have Jesus when he's 12 years old, the boy Jesus at the temple. Now, this section provides the only biblical account of Jesus' boyhood. The focal point is not his precious wisdom, noteworthy as that was. Rather, Luke leads us to the real climax, Jesus' reference to God as my Father. Now, this is the first recorded instance of Jesus' awareness that, in a unique way, he was the Son of God. Now, a Jewish boy reaching puberty becomes a son of the law or a son of the covenant at the age of 12. And that is a custom that has continued today in the bar mitzvah ceremonies in the Jewish community. In Jesus' time, it was considered helpful for a boy to attend the Jewish festivals for at least one or maybe even two years before becoming a son of the covenant so that he would realize what his new relationship involved. So when our Lord was 12 years old, his family made their annual pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for the Passover. Now Luke takes another opportunity to emphasize the fidelity of Jesus' family to Judaism. Adults were supposed to attend the three major feasts in Jerusalem annually or every year. And they were Passover, the Pentecost, and Tabernacles. Now, for many, this was impossible, but an effort was to be made to at least go to the Passover. But when they left to return to Galilee, they didn't notice that Jesus was not in the entourage. Now, this may seem strange to us unless we realize that the family probably traveled with a fairly large caravan. There was hundreds of people traveling, and they usually traveled in big groups for safety. They no doubt assumed that Jesus was walking with others of his own age. Now, usually at this intermediate age, Jesus might have either walked with the women, Mary, his mom, and the other and the smaller children, or with his dad, or with Joseph, rather, and the other men and the older boys. The way the families were, which is the way the families were probably grouped. Now, each a uh, parent might have supposed that he was with the other. Mary may have thought that he was with Joseph, and Joseph may have thought he was with Mary. But before condemning Joseph and Mary, and I want to leave you with this food for thought, because we are getting short on time, but before condemning Joseph and Mary, we should remember how easy it is for us to travel a day's journey supposing Jesus to be in the company when actually we have lost contact with Jesus through unconfessed sin in our lives. In order to reestablish contact with him, we must go back to the place where fellowship was broken and then confess and forsake our sins. You think about that. And until next time, God bless each and every one of you. And keep living. Christian Strong.